My sermon topic this morning is, Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? And if if you want to follow along, I have a couple of different texts. My main one is John 13, verse 1. John 13, verse 1, and it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, using this to kind of uh, establish the, the exegesis or what we hope to pull out of that text. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Keeping in mind, he loved them unto the end. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And this freely give is also forgive in other places in the scripture. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, peril, or sword? Just so you know, everything he's mentioned there, there's examples of in the Bible in which those things will not work to separate us. As it is written, for Uh, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Praise the Lord. And then the writer says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Think about how it's described here. In our, in our text in John 13, 1, it doesn't end at death. It doesn't end in departure. It doesn't end as, as Jesus walks away. It doesn't end as he departs and returns into glory. The love of Jesus is not conquered by anything man can manufacture. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. The love of Jesus isn't conquered by anything in the universe. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, nor present things. There's the physical that's described in the first list and the the metaphysical, if you will, in the second list. And none of it conquers the love of Jesus. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? As we talked about in Sunday school, when we, we were talking about uh, whether or not the Lord would put more on us than we can handle, and I think we settled that, Lord willing. We need to also understand we cannot conquer the love of Jesus. We cannot saddle it and force it into one direction or another. He will not love our works that are against his righteousness. We can't make him bless things. God is simply not going to change. But we also can't conquer his love and losing it and making him not love us any longer. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? You know, when you grow up with siblings, and I think many of us in here have said, not Clark, but many of us in here have multiple siblings. There are times, I know just one brother, 
where he would do something. It was usually me. Y'all remember in March, he said I was a troubled youth. So it was usually me. Uh, and, and I would do something just downright rotten as his oldest brother. And he'd say, you're ruining it for us both. And I've heard our kids say, you're ruining it for all of us. Isaac, Livy, whatever it is you're doing, you're ruining it for all of us. Just get it together. But there's nothing that Brother Steve can do or Brother Joe can do that's going to change the love of God, the love of Jesus for Brother Isaac and Brother Clark. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? It's not conditional. It's not based on easy times or hard times. He gives us sufficient grace for what we need, but his love is immeasurable. And it is always present. El Shaddai, as we saw on Wednesday, one that nourishes and provides. That is the God for which we serve. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Adam and Eve fall in the garden. Their, their sins are identified. What hast thou done? What has happened? Where art thou? They are removed from the garden. They're removed from that, in that sense from naturally inheriting everlasting life. And yet the Lord covers them. The Lord restores them. And the Lord plants a seed, if you will. A promised seed. The tree of life. And throughout the ages, as, as we've been talking in Genesis, we've been following the genealogy of the promised seed, but throughout the ages, again, thinking of God outside of time, he planted a seed for a tree, a tree of life that was in the garden. He planted a seed for this tree of life that and, until the end comes is growing and growing and growing. And isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? We can't harm that tree. Man tried to kill that tree. We tried to kill that tree. But isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? He says it is finished. He rose victorious. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. In context, we know this was written by John to show unto his or Jesus' servants what would shortly come to pass to the churches. John 15, verses 12 through 16. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. We're going to read more. But think of this sentence. Jesus says... This is my commandment. Now, beloved, we got a whole list of other things that we hold to. Important landmarks, if you will, like we like to identify them. I hold to these things. I believe in these things. But this is Christ's commandment, that we love one another as he loved us. How did he love us, brother? I just read it. I just read it. He freely gives. If God be for us, there in Romans 8, verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against? What should we then say to these things? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give or forgive us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. This means no one can. He's not saying, give me a name. And I think we know that. It's somewhat rhetorical. But the writer's literally saying there is no one who can then do that. Who is he that condemneth? 
It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, it is Christ that is risen again. And you cannot condemn him. Man tried. He was spotless. He was tried with our sin and rose up spotless, conquered it forever. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Who shall separate us from this love of Christ? And a list of physical things, none could. And the writer says, I'm persuaded that all these metaphysical things, none could. None shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? Sounds like he loved us victoriously. It's a conquering love because it broke our hearts, but it's not a conquered love. It can't be broken. It can't be removed. It can't be undone. There are no accords that will limit that love. It is firm, a threefold cord. It cannot be undone. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And what has he thus far in this text commanded? That ye love one another as I loved you. He then says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There's a lot of things that we love in John 15, verses 12 through 16. But what is the commandment? That you love one another as I've loved you. And if we do what we've been commanded, and that was the commandment, we are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we went through Abraham in, in Genesis, did, did we not think, boy, what a wonderful thing for Abraham to be called a friend of God. Essentially, that's what we are to be called to, born-again believers. If we do his commandment, if we do as he's commanded us, we are his friends. And what has he asked of us? To love. I could give you a list of really complicated things that we are to do as Christians. But we have but one that is most needful. To love. Think of last week's afternoon message with Martha and Mary. Martha's cumbered about, pulled away, distracted by all the work that she had to do because Jesus was coming. And there's quite a few religions out there that would do a lot of work if they knew Jesus was coming. Gee, if they had to do a lot of work because he's coming, that might mean they haven't been where they should be. But what was the one needful thing? To receive him, to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to love on him, to learn to love from him. This is the most needful thing this is the commandment. This morning, I want to give some support answers to the question, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? First, we look at nature, then need, and then necessity. Nature. Turn over to John chapter 1. Nature. Jesus planned for us. This is a planned love. It wasn't an accident. You weren't born in the right household, in the right time, in the right place, under the right tutelage. He planned 
for us. Listen to John chapter 1, the first 17 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This chapter reflects Genesis 1 very, very well, and I think we pointed this out in our Genesis study. There's a reason for that, because Christ Jesus was there. He was the Word, and He was at creation. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, and all men through him might believe. Not John the writer of this book, but John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. It's a capital L. This is Christ Jesus. He is the light. Verse 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And that's a parenthetical because John the writer is adding that in there. He's one who beheld his glory. And then it's described as full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, John the Baptist again, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that com cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received the grace and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. As to the order of time and entrance on his work, Christ came after John, but in every other way he was before John the Baptist. Jesus had existence before he appeared on earth as man. All that we receive by Christ can be summed up in this one word that we see over and over again in those last three verses, grace. If it's not of grace, it's not Jesus Christ. So if every semblance of Jesus' ministry is grace, 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 then every semblance of our ministry should also be grace, grace, grace. A gift so great, so rich, so invaluable, the goodwill of God toward us and the good work of God in us. The law of God is holy, just, and good, and we should make the proper use of it, but we cannot derive from it pardon. We can't derive from it righteousness. We cannot derive from the law of God strength, not in ourselves. It teaches us to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, but it cannot supply the place of that doctrine. It is our schoolmaster. It points to Christ Jesus. Jesus, beloved, did not come because the law failed. Jesus was always going to come. And the law pointed to that. Everything throughout Leviticus points to one who is coming. All the blood sacrifices did what? They rolled the sins forward. To what? Christ Jesus, who came and paid the debt. As to his plan for us, no mercy comes from God to sinners but through Jesus Christ. No man can come to the Father but by him. It is in our nature since the fall of man to require a propitiation. Romans 3 verses 5 through 18 says, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? And the writer 
interjects, I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they all are, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is why grace is so important. The fear of God should be before our eyes. And we should be rejoicing over the love of God and the grace that's been commissioned through the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving a little further into this chapter, we see that the law was for the knowledge of sin only. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Praise God for his election of those unworthy and unable to change their own, on their own. Look a little further, verses 22 through 26 there in Romans 3. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a payment. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful through faith in his blood? To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of him that, believe, that believeth in Jesus. Through his love for us, he planned for our nature. Now let's look at the need. He came for us. Look at the need. Again, same chapter, verses 27 through 31. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God who shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father, beloved. In 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses, we read, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? In the moment in which he had revealed himself to be your Savior, he had paid for your sins of the past. Every one of them, gone. Removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And any sins present on the heart, 
gone. Any sins that would be committed in the future will bring you to a broken, repentant state, but you will be washed white as wool, white as snow. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? He planned for us. And what good is a plan without action? He came for us. He had the 99 secure, but he needed Clark. He had the 99 secure. They didn't stray, but he came for Clark. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Something worthy of proclamation, even in 2023? Even in the darkest hours of man, the dark ages, whatever they might be, wasn't the love of Jesus something wonderful and to be proclaimed that all the world should know? Wasn't it worth it what our forefathers suffered at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church that the truths of God be upheld because the love of Jesus was something wonderful? Isn't it something worthy of discussion? 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, John says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Insignificant speck in the cosmos. He loved us. And he loved us so much he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He didn't send his son for some great massive planet in the universe that needed to be recovered. He sent it for the born-again humans, lowest of the fallen, who had no hope of their own. And beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It is poured out for us. It is poured out into us. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? John 6, verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Oh, that we would partake in such sweet fellowship. Jesus calls for us to be an active part in his ministry, to make his ministry our ministry, that whether we live or die, the Lord Jesus gets the glory. Pursue and follow him today, for this was the need we had that he came for. It wasn't some objectionable work that we get to elect to be part of. If we are born again, it's our work because he called us to it. Third and lastly, he ascended for us. This is the necessity. We've discussed our nature, our need, and now we see the necessity. He ascended for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He left the kingdom of heaven for his earthly ministry without a required need to be a presence. He returned as a requirement to be present for us, to be present of God for us as our intercessor nor yet that he should offer himself often. The sacrifice has been paid, and he was a perfect sacrifice. So not as the high priest that entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. 
but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to be put to hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation by God's own law he is immutable it's one of those phrases in which we can say is can God be mutable comma God forbid by his own law he cannot be but immutable this is his nature an infinite God to pay the infinite price what happened of all the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament they died well you mean preacher they didn't go before the throne of God and plead the case of those whose sins were put upon them no they were animals they died this was God 100% God so that he could move on to that next part 100% man so that he could pay that price and then he went to God in the and to appear in the presence of God for us five letters two words for us isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful the text here joyfully proclaims that he's coming again for us He's coming again for us. Not just because he's scheduled to make an appearance, but for us. Brethren, let, let's, I'm not going to beg for amens, but let's contemplate that for just a moment. You're here and you're born again. Maybe you're in debt. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe your health is slipping away. Maybe your, your life is falling apart this very hour. But you know the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's something very important. He's coming again for you. Because you can't get there on your own. So he's going to come here for you. He's going to come for you. Well, brother, what if I die first? Those sleeping will go first. He's coming for you. You should not be forgotten. You should not be overlooked. Go read uh, in, in your time, Corinthians 15, and read where the victory of Jesus song comes from. He's coming for you. He's coming for us. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Think again of John 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Why can't my heart be troubled? My sister's home burnt down. Ye believe in God. You don't have to have your heart be troubled. It's a hard thing. It's a sad thing. Sure. I, I can't even begin to imagine how that would be to deal with. But your heart doesn't have to be troubled. Ye believe in God. Harboring unforgiveness? Forgive. Oh, I can't. My heart is troubled. Doesn't have to be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house. This part of believing in him. You believe in God, that he's in control of all things. He created all things. Great. Believe also in Jesus. And here's the significance for us. Because if you also believe in Jesus, you believe he's coming back. And you believe he went to prepare a place for you. And that's where the text goes from here. So you believe in God, 
don't let your heart be troubled. Ye believe also in Christ Jesus, don't believe in a perishing of your future. What's he say? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, Jesus, the one in whom you are to believe, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. We don't know what we're going to be like. We're going to be like him. He's coming back for us. All these things that we've already discussed and where he will be. There I will be also. Think of the things that are beheld by the precious eyes of our Savior right now. At the right hand of God the Father. The things that he has seen as time is not time for him as it is for us. But soon and very soon, he'll come for me. And where he is, I'll be. What he beholds, I'll be able to behold too. And I'll be able to worship him perfectly. And praise him perfectly. And the hesitation that draws down the corners of my mouth will be removed. And there'll only be joy. And there'll only be gladness. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. This is the text we had the other day when Thomas says, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Ye believe in the creator of all things. Now ye can believe in the hope of all things. Ye believe in the one who is that great and terrible God. Now ye can believe in great mercy. Believe in me. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. It was necessary for him to ascend for us because he was our ensample. He was not showing us all way to the kingdom, but rather the way, as we discussed last week from John 14, 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 8. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Paul says, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God even as others which have no hope. I, don't, I, I hope you don't take it as we're the only Baptists that never smile because there's a lot of Baptists that never smile. And I preach this message anywhere the Lord will let me preach this message because we should have joy. We should have hope. We don't sorrow as others do. We don't have troubled hearts as others do. Why? Because we believe in God. And we know, because we believe in Christ Jesus as well, that we have everlasting life. And he says, going on there in that text in 1 Thessalonians 4, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, or who are already dead, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. is where we get rapture from is the original word there. And why are we being caught up in the clouds? To meet the Lord. And if you're born again, maybe underline the, and in the margins write, my. 
to meet my Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? All the heartache, all the trials, all the afflictions, all of the hurt from the last however many years, for you, for me, we don't have to be distressed. We can simply forgive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can simply be his friend and adhere to the one commandment, to love as we've been loved. Well, they don't deserve my love. You don't deserve his. Well, they got to be taught a lesson. He is the God of vengeance and revenge. He'll handle that. Well, how will they see if I don't make them learn? I don't know if these are your words. I've heard them from Baptist preachers. So I can only imagine what Baptist church members might feel that way. But we have but one thing that is needful. What does the scripture say? What did Jesus tell us to do? He didn't ask Simon Peter, if you believe me, if you believe me, if you agree with me, if you agree with me. He said, if you love me, if you are my friend, feed my sheep, tell others about my love, tell others about my coming, my death, burial, my resurrection, and do these things in remembrance of me. Point to me with everything you have. You know, if I tried to point at you with all my fingers, I can't do this. And I can't do this. I have to do this, which kind of looks like a hug, doesn't it, Brother Clark? So if I'm pointing everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, all I can do is embrace. All I can do is be open. There's a reason I think our five toes are on the front. They're always pointing in the same direction we're going. Man, if we could get our hearts that way. I'm going to heaven. I ought to point to it. Because the love of Jesus is something wonderful. I'm going to heaven. So for me personally, of what I'm called to do, my ministry, pastoring, preaching, studying, dad, all these things ought to point to Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to heaven. My phalanges are all pointing to one final destination for which I will be with him. As he stands for me in that place, I will one day be in that place. Praise God. There's a sad difference between the love of Jesus and the love of the saints. His love is shown in his word and actions as an intense passion. Consider Acts 1:3, to whom also he showed <clears throat> to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This word passion means to be affected or have to have been affected, affected, to feel, to have a sensible experience, to undergo. That's the love of Jesus. It doesn't just say passion, ah, uh, Calvary. There's way more in that word than just a moment in time. Kind of like there's way more in the word the 12. There was the church. These are the leaders of the church. Here this word passion is not just pointing back to passion week, pointing back to the trials. So there's a lot to talk about, so we just call it the passion. No, 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 no. This passion 
affected. Something's changed. Something's been felt. Something, some kind of experience of sensation has happened. Something has been undergone. That's the love of Jesus. Isn't it something wonderful? Ours is called to be a fervent pursuit of him. Yet it is an ever-dying, constantly fluctuating devotion for just about all of us. Every day we wake up weak. Every day it's easier to not open up that devotional. Every day it gets easier to not open up the Bible, let alone pray with our children, pray with our spouses. Husbands, when's the last time? Your wife got up, she's busy, she's ready to go do all the things. She's cumbered about, if you will. When's the last time you grabbed her by the hand and said, can you sit with me and read the Bible? It's been years for me. It's been years for me. And she's the one that is my flesh. When's the last time you pulled your children aside and said, let's read the Bible? And they'll, they're going to squirm away. I'm just going to tell you right now, Derek, Mandy, he's going to squirm away one day. I don't want to. This is stupid. If you read him a book about Batman, he'd sit there all day. But you want to talk about God? I don't want to do this. But you grab him by the hand, you look him in the eye and say, I love you. And God means everything to me. And I want you to know the love of Jesus is something wonderful. Just, just listen to a few passages of Scripture with me. We keep saying, why aren't young people in the churches? Why aren't they? We keep saying, where will the future of the Lord's church come from? He knows. He already knows. But we don't because we are removed from such things. We're cumbered about with such distractions. And it's easy to do. All I can do is confess of my own. Let our love for one another be as sincere as his. It's described in this message, in these texts, these scriptures that we've read, as being everlasting and ever-preserving. He himself went back to the kingdom for us to ensure that it's everlasting and ever-preserving. Jesus loved us before all time, for all time, and forevermore. The day we were saved, we were blown away by his love for us. We fell head over heels for the one who showed us in a moment of clarity that we are absolutely and desperately in need of him. Ladies, is that how your husband picked you up one day? Girl, you've got an absolute and desperate need for me. It'd be kind of off-putting if a dude did that, wouldn't it? Yeah, talking a little street here, but we're getting real, aren't we? The love of Jesus is different. It's something wonderful. We absolutely have a desperate need for that love. And he could have made it go down like sour milk, like that bad medication we had when we had a cough as a kid. I don't, ugh, I still taste that pink cough medicine. But he didn't. He made it something wonderful, something easy to digest. Milk for the babes, meat for the, uh, the older people that aren't babes anymore. He made it digestible for all ages. What happened to that feeling, beloved, of being blown away? Is it still as strong today as it was, as it should be? The onus is on us to die into flesh, to put off the old man nature, to let our desires for the pleasures in this life fall from us as the scales from Saul's eyes once he was made to see. 
Many have asked, how do I walk away from pagan holidays? One step at a time. How do I walk away from video games and bad television? One step at a time. How do I get right with the Lord, right with the church? How do I live a faithful life of service? One step at a time. You try to take on any more than that, you'll fall. But the love of Jesus is something wonderful. If you're his, he'll pick you back up again. How do you get where he's intended for you to go? One step at a time. Drench the shield of faith and pursue after him. You will not be sorry. Not one minute of study in the Word of God has ever been wasted in the history of man. It has always been used. It has always been fruitful. It will accomplish that which it was sent to do. Matthew 10, 38-39, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. What's that mean? That, that sounds harsh. It is harsh. It's not. Let me, let me reword it a little bit just from the other text that we've read. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me. He that honoreth not the one commandment I've given to love as I have loved. He's not my friend. You know, 41 years old, that doesn't have as much of an impact on me as it, as it would have at 13, 9, maybe even 17. You remember when you were a kid and somebody said, I'm not going to be your friend anymore? How much that hurt? Lock in on that emotion, beloved. The years have hardened our hearts to it. The years have complicated our feelings toward it. It still hurts to lose friends. Jesus calls those who honor his commandment to love as he has loved his friends. When we read these words, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me, it ought to hurt a little bit. Not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Get rid of it. Get rid of your reputation. Get rid of your life, your distractions. Whatever it is, it's not worthy of Christ Jesus. And that is the expense. That's the exchange rate you have decided to pay for it. We talked about that before, that Christian exchange rate. What we're willing to give up precious time in the Word of God, precious time in the Lord's house for. What's more important than this? That is now the value you have set, the price you have set for your time with the Lord. Praise the Lord, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Praise the Lord that the love of Jesus Christ is something wonderful. It's easy to embrace. It's easy to enjoy. But we've got to do it like this. What is it the born-again believer says? Because of adoption, we could say, Abba, Father. When Zeb looks at me and gets it right, because sometimes he calls me Mama, but when he gets it right and he calls me Dad, there's nothing like that. We're made in his image, I have to imagine, because he loves repentance so that when we do it, he loves it a lot. Abba, Father, I failed thee. Bring me home. I've spent 
my inheritance. I'm wallowing now with the pigs. I'm not where I should be. The servants live a better life than I do. And I don't come back for the life I once had. I'd be glad to be a servant in your house. Abba, Father. John 15, 13. This is where we'll close. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I pray you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do not, if you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. I'm not the only one who has answers. But this might be the only day you have. Please, please meditate over the Word of God and this wonderful, wonderful love of Jesus.